Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Dear listeners, to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, I am Melissa, and I am joined by my co-conspirator, Wendy, and we are here in Austin, Texas, and this is our second little installment of Fantastic Fest recap for this year, yes. 2017, so we're here after the festival, we're catching up with you and all the things that we saw and the things we experienced. And actually catching up with each other. Yeah, because we didn't see each other for the first half of the episode, or the festival because you were volunteering. I was volunteering this year. You should talk a little bit about volunteering because oh, that's the gosh. first time you've done that. I've never done it for that festival. So it's it was super fun. Um, when I first moved down here, Cargill was like, "You should attend before you volunteer," and I'm glad he did. I'm yeah. glad he recommended that um, because it really did uh, allow me to see both sides of things in a way that mm-hmm. was um, kind of fun and different. But yeah, I feel like I I feel like I stepped behind the curtains into the making of. Uh, the making of documentary of how Fantastic Fest happens. Um, they, uh, I, I hear stories that show that tell me that it's improved drastically. Oh God, yes. Um, you have no idea how much it sucked for ticketing um, when I first started coming. Yeah, but even the experience of volunteers. Yeah. Right. Um, like last year, because the volunteers need an HQ for them to store their stuff and a place for the volunteers to go when the movies are on Mm -hmm. because I'll get to that in a second. So, but last year the HQ was one of the highball karaoke rooms Mm -hmm. and not one of the big ones for all of the, and that's where you check in for your shift, which means that's, and that's where transpo is. Transpo was actually in a different place, transportation. Um, And so like this year though, we were, there's this big condo unit that's super swank and we were in the member lounge of mm-hmm. that. So they worked that out and that was super swanky and nice. so much space. And that was really lovely. And everybody's like, this is amazing. And like, don't screw this up for us guys. Cause this is great. <laughs> um, there are two main ways you can volunteer, which is volunteering for theater or volunteering for transportation, because there's a lot of people who need to get from the airport to the draft house or from their hotels to the mm-hmm. draft house and the draft and fantastic fest um, helps organize that for people. So um, I did end up uh, doing one shift with transpo as a ride along because mm-hmm. when you run out to the airport, they have figured out that the best way to do it is to have somebody drive and then somebody who jumps out and goes and stands in the airport and waits for people while the other person goes and drives over to the cell phone lot and the, it works out a lot better. It's a lot quicker and a lot easier. So you stand there with this big fantastic fest sign and wait at the airport. So I did one shift of that and then everything else I did was theater. And um, yeah, like you both love these attendance attendees and then you start to get a little frustrated with them. (laughs) I tell you once. And I tell you a hundred times. When I tell you once, it's as if I have said it a hundred times. Clear the hallways. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. And like... And I know I'm a forceful personality and I'm somebody who's experienced with volunteering. So I didn't want to like come in and like be, 
be all like, well, this is how you do it. Or like, let me tell you. So I was trying to be very like, just let me know what you want. And they're like, so if any of you are not comfortable clearing the hallways, like mm-hmm. telling people what to do and where to go, that's fine. Just let us know. But if you are comfortable with it, like if we could really get the help and I'm just like, oh guys, just, I love it. I love to tell people, I love to tell people where to go. So don't worry. If I'm, if I'm on shift, just trust me, the hallways are going to get cleared. Um, but there were, <laughs> there were so many random moments of, um, so I was in charge of the standby line and somebody at one point referred to the way that you have to lead them in because they are not allowed to come in the theater unless a volunteer is with them saying, these are the people from standby. For right. obvious reasons, to, yeah. to vouch and say, these aren't just random strangers. These people are allowed to come in. So I would grab the people at standby and I'd be like, follow me. So you walk through the hall with all these people trailing behind you and somebody referred to them as little ducklings. And mm-hmm. so I kept trying to make them quack. <laughs> <laughs> and I had success. Excellent. When I had success... Oh my God, you should have seen the faces of all the leads and volunteers as I walked by <laughs> with all of them cracking behind me. They were so happy. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. But they are really like, oh, they've got, if you are a volunteer for Fantastic Fest, let me tell you people, this is, this is a way you can attend on the cheap. Yeah, they, really, they give you nice perks. Yeah, so yeah, it's a long shift, but you get a, an actual solid meal in the middle of it. They will feed mm-hmm. you a real meal, um, like a thundercloud sub, or they'll order pizza, and not just you get one slice. It's like, guys, there's still pizza left over. Please eat the damn pizza, mm-hmm. um, or free freebird burritos, or like whatever. Um, so that's one perk. You get this lovely lounge, at least this year. Hopefully that can continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a nice T-shirt. I yeah. like the T-shirt. But then... You get food discounts at the Alamo Draft House throughout the fest. You get 50% off. Yeah. Like, so, because in the second half, you can attend movies in standby for free. Mm-hmm. And you also, as a volunteer, are allowed to go to the press screenings, which happen at 8 a.m. each day. Now, that makes for a long day, and it's exhausting, but it is possible for you to fully immerse yourself in all of the films mm-hmm. without paying to go to Fantastic Fest. Yep. And because all you have to do is 24 hours of volunteering. That's four shifts. That's four shifts over eight days. Yeah. And like there are three shifts a day. So it's not even like four, four of the days. It's one shift. Mm-hmm. Like you can have a great fantastic fest. And there are volunteers who do it every year. Mm-hmm. And I felt respected. I thought people, I have made new friends. Yeah. Um, I became even more visible, which is <laughs> kind of terrifying. It's like even more people are like, I got so many people who walk up and say, thank you for volunteering this year. When I was just attending at this point, but they're like, I remember you, you were a volunteer and you were great. You know how to talk to people and explain things. <laughs> um, so yeah, volunteering, man. It was, I'm awesome. so happy that my... Like, it's a silver lining to my finances being in a fucked up place Mm -hmm. that it forced me to volunteer. And I found out that it's actually kind of great. Yay. So, but Melissa, you had your art project that made you super popular. Yeah. So, so dear listeners, I've been on disabilities since late August and, you know, dealing with mental health issues primarily. Mm -hmm. So... 
So if you're Dealing wondering the aftermath of your job taking advantage of you for over a year, like yeah. I'm mad at your job, Melissa. So if you're if you're wondering why this podcast kind of took a nosedive in the last several months, that's it's all folded in with this. So I'm not going to get into that bullshit. But I haven't been working. But if you love Melissa like I do, you need to know things are getting better. Yes, yes they are. And and through being mostly at home and trying to deal with my shit, I've been going through and trying to offload crap just like stuff um why do i have this why do i have this why do i have all these boxes of dvd and cd packaging sitting in the basement and believe me dear listeners there's a lot of it um because you store your cds and dvds yeah i i i have i have my seat there's so many of them i have them in like 100 disc uh drums basically and there's a library system so i can find everything but they're not in their original packaging because original packaging takes up a lot of space yeah so i've i long ago ditched the actual jewel cases for everything but i had all the inserts and all that stuff in case i wanted to sell some stuff off i'd still have that stuff to put back together again and after 15 20 years of that it's like no i'm never gonna do that it's just sitting around so i decided to Make shit. <laughs> you did. Rather than just throw it all in recycling, I, I kind of went, how do I just, how do we make something out of this? Because this is kind of an extraordinary collection. So it's all the packaging, all these uh, news clippings that I've had since childhood. J-cards? Um, yeah. Uh, J-cards and DVD covers? Yeah, and Yep, everything. And so anything that was papered that, it's like, why am I keeping this? I... Um, I bought a, a like a little one inch button maker. I had a larger one. I have like a, the two and a half inch. That's button how maker. I got my belock belock button. Yeah, so I had a bigger one that's kind of more of a pain in the ass to use. But I I already had that, and I've had that for years. But I finally, uh, you know, dropped like eighty bucks and bought a nice little mini badge maker, and I started making buttons out of it, <laughs> little little pins, and um, so I spent. A couple evenings doing that before coming down here, and I arrived at Fantastic Fest with a giant bag of buttons that I made from shit in my basement. And so I started walking up to people and go, "Hey, would you like a button I made from shit I found in my basement?" And literally that line, and everybody hearing that line, one hundred percent went, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I want <laughs> I want a button of shit you found in your basement." Yeah, and and, and do I do I do I get to pick or do I do I just take and grab and whatever I get oh no you can like grab a handful and like sort through it and find what you want yeah. what if I just want to pick one out and live with it you can do that too you can do that too whatever floats your boat dude and uh so you know people were like going through and really enjoying it so it's like oh and and then people were like actively seeking me out you're the bald chick with the buttons yes I am <laughs> do you the one that has the buttons that you've of shit you made found in your basement yes i am yes i am oh, i found you <laughs> so there there was a lot of love and, and it's really kind of fun watching people go through and see what you know floated their boats and there was a lot of love for uh, buckaroo bonsai yes and there was a lot of buckaroo bonsai stuff in there because i i went through and just tore apart an entire like little collector's book and um Oh, yeah, but there was a little thing. There, there was a little everything. I would, and I was recognizing some of the buttons that kept coming out and going back in. And it's like somebody's going to take Perfect Tommy. So I, a special per- person is going to say, "Hey, that's Perfect Tommy. I'm going to get yeah. Tommy." <laughs> and who's going to get the Mothra pin? And who's going to get? Oh, I remember the person who got the Mothra. The oh, Mothra. Yeah, they were very excited. Ah. Yeah. So it was, that was super fun. But another thing I cleared out of my basement, and I was super. Pr- pleased with this finally finally about 15 20 years ago i wound up buying 
a 35 millimeter print at an auction for $5. And it, I bought it off of the nephew of the producer of this movie. And this movie being uh, a movie from 1993-ish called Legend of Wolf Mountain that stars, of all people, Robert Zdar and Mickey Rooney. And uh, if you go, what? Go look it up on IMDb. It's apparently just terrible. But anyway, I had this full 35 millimeter print that I bought for $5 and given the instruction of this needs to be destroyed from the producer because it's a shitty movie. And and I bought it thinking I could use it for art supplies. And uh, at one point I thought I might try to make a dress out of it because wouldn't it be cool to have a dress made out of film stock? And, you know, I kind of tested it out. It didn't really look the way... It didn't read as film... Uh, when like sewn into dress fabric and it's like why go through the effort if it doesn't even look like film when you use it mm. and uh, you know I tried a couple other things but ultimately it's like I cut a couple things out of the leaders of a couple of the reels and tested them for various projects it's like I I got nothing. I got I got nothing it, it's not useful to me and so I called up the whatever I cut off and you know, put it back in the box, and it just sat in my basement and followed me around to various living spaces over the years. And then finally, finally, like within the last year, my brain started working and said, "Hey, dumbass, you have a 35 millimeter print in your basement, and you don't have a 35 millimeter projector, and you probably never will. What the fuck are you gonna do with this terrible movie that's sitting in your basement?" And I finally went, I could give it to Agfa. I don't care if... <laughs> oh my God, of course you can give it to Agfa. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so the American Genre Film Archive, which is housed at the Alamo Draft House, um, takes in stuff like that. And that's like their jam. They, they take all the, the old weird little prints like that. And so even if nobody rents out this movie ever from their archives, they have more purpose for it than I do. It's true. And since I'm just happy to have, have it out in my basement. So like, uh, when I had that idea, I went up to Tim league. I think this was at Buttonathon last year and said, Tim, I have this print. Would, would Agfa be inf- interested in it? Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll, you know, give you, um, all sorts of paperwork to do, uh, you know, for the donation and all that stuff. But yeah, we'd be happy to take it. And it's like, all right, next time I come down to Austin, I will, um, hold on. Next time I go down to Austin, I will um, bring it down in the car with me. And so I did. That is so cool. And so for the first couple of days of the festival, I'm trying to, you know, contact Kristen and, you know, and various volunteers who do I talk to to drop this off with Agfa? Because I know they're around. And there was kind of this comedy of, you know, passing ships in the night, trying to coordinate with the Agfa guys. And uh, Sebastian and, oh, no, I forget his name. Oh, goodness. Um, he would, he did the intro for the Ed Wood film. Uh, it starts with an E. Anyway, um, they were wonderful. And I, I finally got hooked up with the right people. And we hauled in the print. And it was like, ah, suddenly there's no longer five reels of 35 millimeter film just rotting in my basement. And it's, it's here, it's in a safe place, and somebody maybe can enjoy it. <laughs> and it is where people will love it and keep take care of it. Yeah, 
Yes. Oh, that was brilliant to think of that. I was so happy. I was so happy. Yeah. Good job, you. Yay. Yeah, that would feel good. And that happened right before the, the Ed Wood screening, too, which, dear listeners, I'll, we'll get to in a later episode as we catch up with this stuff. Yes. All right, so... What films shall we talk about for this little mini episode? Well, we have a whole mess of documentaries and one narrative movie based on a true story. One I figured kind of can, biopic, historical kind of, biopic, historical biopic. The 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 biography being about Soyuz Seven. Yes. Yeah. So so it's we should you know what it's come up already. Let's talk about it. Soyuz Seven is the Russian Apollo Thirteen. It is. That's exactly how I've been describing like, it. Like it is exactly. And I was alive for this, but I don't have any memory of it. I don't mm-hmm. know that it just wasn't being reported. I think it was just not being reported because Cold War. But it was the Russian space station that was in orbit that. Um, Soyuz Soyuz Seven being the space station. Yes, yeah. being the space station, and the Soyuz was what went up to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a Russian-made film. So it's it's mm-hmm. Russian filmmaking, which means it really is Apollo thirteen. Because if you think about Apollo thirteen, Ron Howard directed like it's an incredibly American, yeah, na- not nationalistic in terms of political, but very and not jingoistic, but very. It's rah rah American. Rah rah American, and this is very rah rah, rah, rah Russian. Rah rah Rasputin. Even <laughs> even though weirdly, because it's a modern film made about communist russia so there's there's weird undercurrents though of like yay russia mm, communism though huh. yeah. like, like it was just like you could really feel like yes us the communism though that was a thing yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but uh so the it was in the early 1980s uh-huh. um that this happened which is why i'm surprised i didn't hear about it challenger was a a space shuttle that was in use and the actual central crisis being the Russians have something go wrong with their space station. The Challenger is big enough to actually get it and bring it back. And Challenger is going to go up into space and they're like, because when it, when things originally go wrong, they're like, it's no worries. We'll send up a crew to fix it. It'll be fine. Yes. But Challenger is going to launch in two weeks. And they can just go and get it. And our, our space, our Russian space secrets will be revealed. So mm-hmm. we can't have that. Challenger will, the evil Americans will take our space station. Yeah, and and the the challenge becomes, um, do we shoot it down so the Americans don't get it? Uh, do we let it just crash? If we just let it crash land because the uh, orbit is decaying, it will probably hit the U.S. and... That's a and nightmare. That's a bad idea during the Cold War, and uh, yeah. So, so the they, clock is ticking. The clock is ticking because if Challenger gets there, we have to shoot it down. But we have two of our men up there trying to fix it. But we still might have to shoot it down. Yeah, and it, it's a uh, it really is Apollo thirteen because you've got two guys up in space and then the ground crew trying to help them out and they're trying to do something with nothing. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to. Fix stupid shit. Yeah, and they're they're there, and it's it's uncomfortable. And I think what I love the most is that the climactic moment, the climactic moment that fixes the space station and saves their lives, is so incredibly small and stupid that yeah. it really like that. That's the climactic moment. Weirdly, boomerang boomerangs around and becomes something sort of wonderful. Yeah, like this this one small thing was the difference between us living and dying. 
Yeah. This one stupid thing. Really stupid. Really thing. stupid thing. Yeah. And it, it's sort of like when it happens, you kind of find yourself sort of laughing at the absurdity of it, but mm-hmm. laughing along. And it was, I mean, it's not like it's a revelation of a film, but it was so beautifully made. Mm-hmm. It was so, it would make such a wonderful double feature with Apollo 13. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting little little biopic and I, I don't know how absolutely accurate it is but it it touches along, along some really interesting stuff like you know how dangerous it is to have a fire in space or mm-hmm. the the challenge of of the problem they had with water or not mm-hmm. not drinking water but having water loose in the cabin yeah uh and stuff like that like how do you how would you deal with a water spill in mm-hmm. your space station because you can't have that water floating around yeah because it's going to get everywhere and everywhere is electronics. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it, it it's super fascinating. I, oh, I but really the docking it. sequence. Yeah, the docking sequence was super really tense. well done. Yeah, oh, that was good. Yeah, and 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 pure space cowboy. Like, because yep. that's the thing about these space pilots, they definitely have that space cowboy of like, you just got to be bold and go for it. And and then it works, and you're like, I feel like encouraging your point of view on this was troublesome <laughs> but you you masculine men with your masculine problem with having to prove you're masculine you know yeah except that it worked <laughs> it, it worked damn it damn it so yeah so you seven that mm-hmm. was um that was a really a nice film a feel-good film yeah which i really enjoyed in, it in a later episode we'll talk about what about why it was so important to have feel-good films this year <laughs> oh my god yeah oh dear listeners if you're wondering why we're not talking about the elephant in the room we will. We will. Okay. So, moving on to more documentaries. And these are all things that I saw that Wendy didn't get to see. So I'll, I did not get to see any documentaries I kind of cruised this through year. them. Um, I'll start with 7852, mm-hmm. which I saw yesterday. Uh, no, not yesterday. The day before. It all blurs together. You saw it on the last day of Fantastic. I Fest. did. So, 7852 is an entire documentary about the shower scene in Psycho. <laughs> And how long does that go? How long has that scene? It, it's uh, 52 seconds, and it's 78 pieces of film. There we go, 78.52. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about this documentary. So, I admit yeah. that I wanted to see this. Yeah, it's, really it's, it's okay. It's, it's a decent little documentary. Um, I kind of question the... I feel like the people that they were talking to were just like whoever was available. It's like, hey, Elijah Wood, you want to talk about the shower scene in Psycho? Yeah! What are you talking about to Elijah Wood about the shower scene in Psycho? Anyway, um, thankfully they did get some actual editors talking about it and some other directors and stuff. It's like, I, I feel like a few of the people are like, hey, you're at Fantastic Fest with me. Will you talk about the shower scene in Psycho? Sure. Yeah. It, wow. Why? It's a really good scene. Like, yeah. What are, you, what are they supposed to say? It's a really good scene. I remember being scared. Yeah. It, and? And? Elijah was fine, but anyway, oh, it, yeah. it, it was just some of the some of the things. Like, why are you talking to that person? But they do talk to like Walter Murch and a couple other editors, and it's like, yes, that that stuff, that shit is really interesting to me. But it's it's a full deconstruction of not just the history of Psycho as a movie, but specifically about how that shower scene changed movies from then on. What why it was the landmark it was, um, going shot by shot through it and going, this is why these shots are juxtaposed against each other, um, how Saul Bass designed the sequence. Ah. Um, 
and you know the the usual trivia here like the the blood was chocolate syrup and here's all uh here are all these other movies that parodied it since and yeah it was just as see i would see i would love a deconstruction like that so yeah i'm totally yeah it's it's fun and i'm sure it'll show up on streaming channels very soon Mm -hmm. um there was a short in front of it that I really liked. Okay. Really, really liked. And I think it might actually be available online. Um, I'll have to check. And if it is, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But it's it's called, I think, uh, Nothing a Little Soap and Water Won't Fix. <laughs> and it's... This woman went through hundreds of movies and took every single woman laying in a bathtub sequence she could find. And cut them all together in this vast montage of, here are all the shots of the woman turning on the faucet. Here are all the shots of the faucet spilling water into the tub. Here's all the, 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 the images of the woman lighting candles or drinking a glass of wine, stepping into the tub. Uh, all the images of the woman like submerging herself into the water. Bubble bath. And like just taking all of these scenes and just massively recutting them all together into like by subject of the shot. And you can really see how absolutely cliched it becomes. (laughs) And it's, it is astounding. And there's not a word said in it. It, It's just this big montage and it's beautifully done. Um, So I, and I, feel like I've seen it before. Like, I think oh, I've seen it online. Fun. So, like I said, dear listeners, I'll link to it if I can find it. Nice. It, it's really great. It's really great. And the perfect thing to show in front of 7852. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. They, they were so well aligned. It's like, oh, that's beautiful. Mwah. Uh, moving on in the, in the documentary slate, we also have Haunters. I heard about this one. This is fantastic. Um, there are two other documentaries um, already in the the lexicon of documentary filmmaking about haunted house operations. Mm-hmm. Not like, like ooh, ghosts, but Halloween haunted houses. Yeah. People putting together scares in their backyards. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one called Hell House, which was made 10, 15 years ago. That's maybe the one years. about the church that does it to try to scare people straight. Right. So that's Hell House which is a great documentary. There's also American Scream, which came out three, four years ago, which is about people making scares in their backyards, different filmmakers. And then there's the one that I just saw, which is Haunters, which is about the changing nature of haunted houses in America. Because people are, audiences are wanting more and more extreme scares. And so Haunters is really, really cool because it partly goes into the history of haunted houses in America. And it's a uniquely, enough, it is a uniquely American exactly. entertainment. And it was started by church groups in like the 1910s, 1920s. So it was, it kind of has a hell house sort of origin. And Billy Graham was apparently big into pushing this. And then it got abruptly kind of shut down by the church and kind of went into the wild. But um, these church groups were the ones who, by and large created all these really successful little haunted house tricks like the checkerboard room where all the people are inside are painted like checkerboards and they kind of camouflage themselves against the walls and then they come after you or things and stuff like that they that's been in use for decades and it all originated from these church groups but 
the primary drive of this documentary, aside from kind of a 10, 20 minutes of this history, which is really interesting, um, is about how several haunted houses are getting more and more extreme because people are seeking harder and harder scares. And so there's almost this arms race of more and more extreme things. Like you go in and you sign a waiver and they will touch you or they'll waterboard you. They will, uh, and these are people doing the shit in their backyard. <laughs> what the hell? Why yeah. would you sign that waiver? And also yeah. that waiver is not going to protect you if somebody decides to sue. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that I feel like people like, um, if somebody actually gets hurt, no waiver signs away your right to sue for right. getting well, one of the women in, involved in one of the haunted houses is actually like a legal secretary. So she had a, there was like a brief moment of the film spent on constructing the waivers and things like that. But um, it focuses on, I think, three or four people. And they're basically just families making these things in their backyard, spending thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of hours of their time every year constructing these things that are essentially only open one night or a couple weeks of the year mm -hmm. and um, going through all that. And they uh, talk to a couple of actors who do this professionally at like Knott's Berry farm during the scare season. And they go, they talk about, you know, the dangers of being an actor in one of those things because flight or fight response. There are some people who fight, uh, you know, managing patrons and all that. And, um, there's also now a trend towards, there are some haunted houses that are actually doing full narratives. So you have talked about sleep no more in previous podcasts mm -hmm that immersive Macbeth thing that happens in mm -hmm. a hotel that you go into and it's, it's an immersive theater experience. There are people doing that with haunted houses. So there's an actual narrative and you go in and um, so it's, it's not like kind of the, the brutal extreme haunted houses. It's more of a, they're, they're just taking a different tactic and they, they have, since it's an actual plot, they can do a lot more involved things with scaring people, like separating you from the main group, and uh, different people see different parts of the narrative, and yeah, and it's like that shit's interesting. So, Haunters, dear listeners, it will be released online October thirtieth this year. So you can well, that's appropriate. So you can go see it. You can you can see it in the comfort of your own home. Mike Salters took me to scare for a cure last last Halloween. Uh huh. This is a thing where they tell you, and Mike's like, so bring a change of clothes and bring several towels because you will get soaked in fake blood. Yeah. And so that's the immersive, and it was a narrative experience, mm -hmm. and he was mad because I very quickly was like, oh, look, <laughs> there's the spray nozzle and there's the grate. Yeah. I'll step over here. Yeah. <laughs> but Lee Mercedes was drenched. <laughs> so it's kind of like going to a Guar concert. Yeah. You dress in white and trying to get and as then was a And there was a maze that you could go through and nice. dudes with chainsaws that did not have chains on them. Of course. But the motor sound, that will kick in your adrenaline when you hear that and it comes at you. You're like, oh God. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, um, <laughs> tangential story. My friend Ian used to work in a haunted house in West Virginia. And they, they had a guy at the time who was really into Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he had a totally done up Leatherface outfit. 
this is total tangent type, but he guy totally in a leather face outfit with his own chainsaw and, uh, you know, with the chain off of it and everything. And he was like, dog will hunt. And he's into it. And he, chased, he would chase people across the maze and all that stuff. Had a great time. One day, the chainsaw broke. And they didn't have anything to give him as a replacement that day. So they gave him like a hedge trimmer. <laughs> and you could tell he was totally dejected. He was just kind of sitting there and going, dog will hunt. <laughs> That's all I can think of when I hear that dog will hunt things. Dog will hunt. <laughs> just so sad. Mm. Anyway, uh, anyway, dear listeners, you can you can see Haunters uh, in a few weeks. In a few weeks, it's yeah. very interesting, really, really interesting, and you can tell the difference between the people who are like really pushing the boundaries in uncomfortable directions, and it's like, uh, like uh, dude, and also, like, why uh, would you sign up? Like, waterboarding people? That's fucked up. Well, I th- there, uh, I find this fascinating. Um, there are. You know, there are people who like to test their limits. And, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, it's like, oh, there's a really extreme haunted house. It's like, all right, you know, and you, they actually do vet people before they go through and make sure they're healthy and yeah, all that like, stuff. But, well, so what, is, what signing a waiver does is psychologically it vets people. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're going to make me sign a waiver? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how intense this is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. All right, yeah. now you can go through. Yeah, it's... <laughs> they talked to one of their neighbors who is like, I don't like what they're doing. I don't like what they're doing. But I did go through one year. Okay, I went through three times. <laughs> she was like, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. No, I went through three times. <laughs> it, it, it is fascinating. It's a fascinating all right, so next is which? Next is, um, I'll go with Love and Saucers next. Okay. Oh, the, I heard about this. It's very interesting. It's um, Love and Saucers is a movie about a guy who uh, lives in Hoboken, New Jersey. And he is, he's older, 65-ish, 70-ish, somewhere in there, I think. And he uh, believes with all his heart that he uh, was visited by aliens repeatedly and this female alien uh, has had sex with him many many times and he and had children and had children like it's, it's a long distance love affair it's a long distance love affair and and um it's he has this very very elaborate story about and a whole you know, story about this alien race and and all he's he's got you know i think it's like 50 60 visits and he knows exactly what happened in each one and and he he believe you see this guy on screen and you can tell he is absolutely fucking sincere he absolutely believes everything he's saying um the real uh fantastic thing about the documentary is it's very very neutral on what this is all about they they don't say ha ha this guy nor nor do they nor do they say aliens are real. They, they are just documenting what this guy is like, which is, I think, wonderful because mm-hmm. he, he seems like the most genuine, wonderful guy. And he has this crazy ass story. And uh, as an outlet for all these, these uh, things he's, that have, he believes has happened to him, he started painting. And he has all these 
um, these paintings, they're, it's like he needs some more lessons in human anatomy, but, <laughs> but you know, he, he has kind of a grasp of light and he knows how to use paint. And uh, he has made just hundreds and hundreds of paintings of the, the stories of, of all of these things that have happened to him, or so he thinks. And um, he's, he's had gallery shows, and uh, it's just, so it's just very sweet. It's very sweet. And, you know, like, during the day he works at a deli, and he doesn't seem to have a mean bone in his body. It's not terribly introspective, but he's got all the, and he's happy to talk about all these things that happened to him. And it's just kind of matter-of-fact to him. And I think, I mean, personally, my interpretation of what's going on with the guy is that he's extremely impressionable because as he's, there's one part of the documentary where he's paging through a book about alien abductions that was written by some other guy. And he, as he's reading it, it's like, I remember some other things I haven't thought about. It's like, I think he was picking up things in the book informing what he thought were new memories. Mm. And so I think that's what's going on with him. I, it's just... I think he's he's not doing anybody any harm, so who cares? Yeah, really. Yeah, he's he he's he seems to be absolutely harmless. And there's kind of this wonderful quality to his stories. I mean, it's kind of loving and oddly, well, <laughs> it's an it's an outlet for him in some way. And well, I mean, it. I didn't get to see it, but I heard people talking about it and yeah. about you know it's not these abductions are not. Um, traumatic, Mm-mm. like no, it's it's a uh, it's a consensual relationship apparently with yeah. the alien, yeah, female. So it's like, well, that's weirdly sweet and sure, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a interesting, and the whole community is just like, yeah, sure, that's that's what he believes. It's fine. We're not going to call him out on it. We're not going to argue with him. It's like, well, that's weird, but okay, you know, he's not hurting anybody. He's fine. <laughs> Nice guy. Yeah. I like his paintings. Yeah, and a couple of the paintings, they're like the one that they used in the uh, promo art in the, for the festival, uh, the, the really symmetrical one of just the alien eyes. It's like, that's a really striking image. So it's like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's art. Yeah. It's art. Okay. And, and so um, there was another really great short film pairing in front of this one uh, called The Dundee Project. The Dundee Project uh, is... I don't know, five, ten minutes long. It's a little documentary about UFO days in Dundee, Wisconsin, made by Mark Borchardt. Mark Borchardt, the guy being the subject of American movie. Him! Oh my god! Yes! <laughs> oh my god! So the guy Coven! Who, Coven! <laughs> he, he made a little documentary about Dundee. Uh... And oh my god, it's... It's really kind of hilarious and, and, and wonderful. Has um, he gotten more competent? A little bit. Um, his narration's really overbearing, but uh, the, the interviews he captured were kind of like worthy of American movie. Like how American movie kind of disassembled his kind of earnest uh, naivete. Yes, that's a good word. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what he captured in The Townspeople. And Dundee, and and there is this amazing. It opens with this amazing uh, piece of film or or video, as it should be. Um, you can tell it was originally meant to. It was originally going to be an outtake, and they went, "Oh my god, this is gold." Uh, 
they're interviewing one of the townspeople and they're trying to get him to say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I give Mark Borchardt permission to use me in this film. Mm-hmm. And you can hear the, uh, the people off screen say, okay, could you please say this thing for us? And he goes, yeah, okay. But, uh, could you, no, I mean, please say my name is this and you give us permission. Okay, yeah, sure. No, you need to say it. <laughs> Repeat after me. Repeat after me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's after me, after me, yeah, after me, yeah, yeah. after me. It's almost to that level. It's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, and he found guys talking about chemtrails and you know government oh. poisoning the water. There, there's, it, it's, it's just. Little little loving Cold. documentary of the craziness that. Now, did you see it. the the short in front of Soyuz Seven? Yeah, that one. The, the, the passenger, one, the passenger. Yeah, that which was, was a, all right. Yeah, I enjoyed it simply because um, I always love when a story just doesn't explain shit. Yeah, it's just like oh, by the way, that happened. You can infer for yourself where that came from, why it is that way, what the next steps are. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you this little snap. I love short stories like that. I love short short films like that of just, no, nah, I don't need all the background. I can I can make my own guesses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of weird and delightful. Yeah. So, yeah, that one was fun. Oh, so our last and, and documentary. Their, their last documentary, Brimstone and Glory. And this one, and glory. I want to own this just so I can like have it on at parties. Just the images. Oh, it sounded so Brim- like it must be lovely. Oh my god, Brimstone and Glory is a documentary about. Um, I'm going to completely forget the name of this town, but it's in Mexico, where there basically the entire community makes fireworks, and once a year there is this huge fireworks festival in the town. Where the the first day is uh, castles in the sky or the the castles of fire or something like that, and the second day is the running of the bulls, and the the first night they build these immense towers, hundreds of feet high, just covered in fireworks and in these spinning contraptions and 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 very very elaborate things, and it's a it's a competition. So each team builds these huge towers just filled with fireworks that they've strung together and one by one they set them off and it's competition which one's the coolest and then the second night um everybody builds these giants like 10 20 foot high bulls that are paper mache and and wire and 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 whatnot but they're immense with wheels on the bottom and they push them through the streets of the town and the bulls are covered in fireworks and lighting apparatus, and how do they not set buildings on fire as they go by? I'll get to that. Uh, uh. <laughs> and and one by one, uh, the the idea is uh, you have to make the bull. The, the bull shouldn't catch on fire itself, but it it should be spectacular when it gets set off. And these things they're setting off right in the middle of the crowd, and it's supposed to go. All the fireworks go off into the crowd and it's like running of the bulls of pompeii but you're running away from the fireworks like that's the point that's the fucking point the point is to run away from fireworks they it, yeah they, the they have so many hospital crews and jesus and and ambulances there so th- this is a community that 
pretty much constantly lives in fear of being blown up because day to day, what they're doing is making fireworks. Oh my God. And so this is kind of their life affirming thing of, you know, the, the, this dazzling display of fireworks, but um, it's, they explain it's like a tribute to this particular saint that is like the patron saint of firework makers and they're being blessed by the fire and coming out unscathed mostly uh <laughs> mostly yeah yeah and that but the, the artwork the uh-huh. the passion and the artwork is it is so beautiful and it's so beautifully filmed and it's very it takes very there there are no narrators there's very very few um interviews it's just showing you know first day there's this dazzling thing they do and this just showing showing everybody setting things up um like there's one sequence where everybody that came out of the theater went, Oh my God, the climbing sequence just, because ah, they put strapped a GoPro on one of the guys who was climbing up the, the scaffolding to uh. put fireworks up. And he's hundreds of feet up in the air, no safety on him on a platform, barely larger than his feet. And you, he can tell he was going to tape up some fireworks on the very top. And he like drops tape and he could just, See the roll fall, and fall, and fall, and fall. And he go, he's shouting down to somebody else, you know, just a little lower in the platform. Goes, did you bring up any extra tape? Mine just fell. <laughs> just, okay, it's just oh. But lighting the stuff up and the just the spectacle of it all, and all the bulls and the people, and all the different ways that they bowl the bulls for the second night, and, you know, some of them are internally lit and just dazzling, some of them move, um, some of them look like the, like the Lion King, uh, stage show props where they actually walk as you wheel them down the street, and it is astounding, and then they light the shit on fire. (laughs) God, they work all year on this stuff, and light the shit on fire. And it goes. It's 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 amazing. It, it's just dazzling. Oh. I and then you see also that. you also see a few segments of oh this guy just you know they they have a few shots inside the uh, ambulances of people just streaming in with like blood and burns and yeah you didn't duck didn't mm-hmm. move fast enough mm-hmm. oh god people assembling fireworks with like one hand. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very, very dangerous. Okay, so... um, So, dear listeners, watch for that, because it is... is, There were parts of the documentary where, like, tears were running down my face because this is is just dazzling. It's just so beautiful. I can't wait to see it. I wish I could have seen it. Like, uh, I'm hearing about all these movies now that I wish I could have had a chance to see. Yeah, it's so good. So, um, so yeah, we kind of cooked through those. We already uh, told our little stories. We've been going for a while, so we should wrap it up, and then we'll yep. return tomorrow with, like, five more movies. Yes. And that we saw. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, Excellent. listeners, this has been yet another little tiny, well, not so little, not so tiny, but yes. this has been an episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome reporting to you about Fantastic Fest 2017, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com. Follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema. 
and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. talking too much, Woody.